Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning, dear listeners. You're listening to Radio 3CR on 855 AM in Palestine. Remembered with Yusuf Ahmed Rimawi, Nasser Mashni, and Robert Martin. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of Australia's only radio program that is totally dedicated to the Palestinian cause in English language. We would like to welcome our listeners on the AM dial and those who will join us later on the website 3cr.org.au forward slash podcasts. In today's episode, we will be talking via Skype from Doha, Qatar with Dr. Ramzi Baroud a Palestinian academic and activist. Uh, Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Listeners, we're very excited to be joined today via Skype by Dr. Ramzi Baroud, who is a U.S. Arab journalist, media consultant, author, internationally syndicated columnist, the editor of Palestine Chronicle since 1999 to present, the former managing editor of London-based Middle East Eye, former editor-in-chief of the Brunei Times, former deputy managing editor of Al Jazeera. He served as the head of Al Jazeera.net, English Research and Studies Department. He's the author of three books. And he's a, a doctorate of philosophy in Palestine studies from the European Centre for Palestinian Studies at the University of Exeter in 2015. A most impressive man. So uh, thanks again for joining us, Ramzi. Um, Ramzi, you know, you're a very accomplished uh, Palestinian, as, uh, as noted by your bio. I know you're um, undertaking a new project, uh, Palestine in Motion. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. It's, uh, it's a great honour. Um, Palestine in Motion is is an attempt, and I think it's um, an effort that is part of a, hopefully, a much greater effort of reorienting and refocusing Palestinian history uh, back to where it actually belongs, the people, the Palestinian people, who have been kind of neglected or marginalized in the way that we usually tell history. Um, so it's kind of a, a people's history of Palestine, but in a, in a more exciting, less academic, digital media format. That's what essentially it is. So it's the story of Palestine knitted through the various narratives of Palestinians who lived through different generations and different um, historical events that, uh, that defined them in, as individuals, but also defined the experience for entire collectives. The way we are trying to intersect these narratives um, and that's where the digital media technology comes in, is by kind of allowing the reader to read the story 
as a normal narrative, you know, with all the additional supplementary material that you would need to understand the context of that narrative. But you can also read it in a, in a, in a, in a horizontal sense. You can stop at any moment in anyone's story and continue reading the story of someone else. It's our way of saying that ultimately Palestinian history is connected and the Palestinian narrative, despite of our ideological, political differences, despite of our geographic locations and the walls and the checkpoints and all of this, ultimately we are still the same people. And we all relate to the same history because, at least because we are all affected by it in various ways. So that's what the project is, is the stories of 20 different people, young and old, coming from many different backgrounds, narrating their stories and their hopes and their aspirations. And, and within that project, we hope that after reading some of these stories, at least, the reader can truly familiarize himself or herself with, with the modern Palestinian identity in the 21st century. What does it mean being a Palestinian today? Fantastic. And, and as I understand that you're not far from launching? Um, actually, we're supposed to launch uh, today uh, um, well, in a few hours. It's congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. So um, now, how will we be able to get a copy? Let's give the book um, a, let's so give it's, it a plug. It's, yeah, it's online. So mm-hmm. you will go to aljazeera.com and you see the links, you'll see the, 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 the banners, you will see everything of relevance to it. So, yeah. You will be immediately guided to, uh, to the project once you go to aljazeera.com. So we'll be, if we go aljazeera.com and then Palestine in motion, that'll take us there. Aljazeera.net. Um, no, no, just aljazeera.com. Oh, sorry, I think my the apologies. Is going it's not the main... Uh, yeah, aljazeera.com slash Palestine and motion. Oh, I see. I but I would say just go to aljazeera.com, yeah. Okay. Fantastic. I, I also assume it'll be on your blog and the Palestine Chronicle at some stage because I want to talk about that oh, yes, later. Oh, yes, of course. We'll put a plug we, that we're trying well. our best to kind of give it the needed promotion and, and to kind of steal a little bit of media attention back to Palestine after it's been, you know, sidelined and marginalized for years now. You know, it yeah. sounds very exciting. I can't wait to, to read it, and I'm sure many other can't as well. So, well done. Oh, thank you. So, so thank you. Let, let's, congratulations again on that, that work. Um, let, let's get back to today and, you know, the, the situation that Palestinians find themselves under. You know, we had the very brave and resilient uh, prisoner strike that just concluded after 41 days. Um, where do you think, where, where next for the Palestinian prisoners? Well, where next for the Palestinian prisoners is essentially the same question as where next for the Palestinian people. Um, because it's, you know, there is a very strong bond between prisoners, uh, between Palestinian prisoners and the Palestinian people as a whole. They are a representation of the overall, you know, subjugation and, and imprisonment of, of all Palestinians. Uh, you know, Palestinians are living in various forms of imprisonments in the West Bank and Gaza, under siege, behind checkpoints, surrounded by walls, by um, by gates, by s- illegal uh, settlements, and so forth. So th- they really embody, they symbolize that that collective experience for all Palestinians. This is why the bond between the prisoners, this is why the prisoners, when they went on hunger strike, uh, on April 17th, they unified all Palestinians, regardless of their backgrounds and ideologies and, and geographies. Um, so what is where is next for them, I think, is really the fate of the Palestinian people is very much uh, connected to the fate of the prisoners. 
um, I think at this point, um, you know, um, yes, the media is, or at least Palestinian media is speaking of the, you know, the great victory of the prisoners after that negotiated deal, supposedly. Personally, I'm not really convinced that it was a great victory because um, for me, ultimately, a great victory is for these prisoners not to be prisoners uh, anymore, to be free and and to join their families and their communities and for all Palestinians to be free. Um, But if we are to put it in context, I would say what has really been achieved by this, aside from perhaps easing up some of the restrictions and the hardship that they are facing, is the fact that there, it seems that after every attempt to divide Palestinians and to sideline their, their important core issues, um, it turned out that there is indeed a Palestinian leadership. And that leadership exists. And it's not in Ramallah. It's not Mahmoud Abbas. It's not the Palestinian Authority. It, it's not the warring factions. It's the prisoners. So the prisoners basically re-emerged as the the true Palestinian leadership that managed to unify Palestinians from all walks of life. And I think at at some level, uh, you know, needless to say, intellectually as well, we have learned that the Palestinian people do have a leadership and that leadership showed so much resilience, so much strength and wisdom in, in their action, and they managed to unify their people and renew the sense of faith uh, between Palestinians and, and their leadership that has been lost after many years of Oslo and factional conflicts and that sort of thing. I guess the uh, the victory, those who say the victory, are uh, talking about that Israel was forced to uh, negotiate after, uh, and you may have heard the uh, ministers uh, and the members of Knesset who uh, started by saying that they can die and we will never talk to them and they, we will never discuss any uh, deal with them, but uh, by just sitting down for 20 hours and talking to the leadership of the mass hunger strike, this is a victory. And this is uh, the opinion of most of the families of the prisoners. Um, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, I, I think in 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 difficult times, sometimes we have to, you know, try to find the positive in everything and, 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 and all of that. And I think it's just part of, of that. But I just, you know, aside from this, I would be quite cautious about using, you know, the kind of terminology that, for example, that the Palestinian Authority in Ramallah was using. The, I, it's I the, feel it's, like it's the language that, that, that's used by the families of prisoners, uh, not by uh, officials. That's, and that's why we're echoing yes. them. I, I was going to say as well, I mean, right. just to remind, um, to remind our listeners that what they were striking for was, you know, the basic human rights, such as a telephone call, more visitation rights books and those sorts of things. And to stop the medical negligence. Was there any movement on any of that or has that moved forward or has that just been shoved under the, 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 the carpet and, you know, has it, does anyone know? See, that, that's, that's what I'm really still not sure about. That's why I'm saying I'm quite cautious about the use of the word great victory here. It's just the fact that the, the Israeli prison authorities would validate the, uh, the, the prisoners by talking to them in itself, I can see why this would be seen as a, a step in, in the right direction, but without actually in implementing all the demands of the prisoners, I would be cautious not to term it a great victory as of yet. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, a, single, a single prisoner in the past, 
you know, would, you know, go on a hunger strike and eventually would force the Israeli prison authorities to negotiate with him. And that's a single prisoner. And, and you know, and, and it was good. It was, you know, we, yeah. a lot has been achieved as a result of this. So by having 1,500 at one point, 1,700 prisoners go on a hunger strike and, and to talk about a great victory just because the Israeli prison authorities would talk to them, um, I still really, I, I, I still don't see the great victory there, although I can see why that would be seen yeah. as a positive step in the right direction. Correct. I, I think, like, you know, the reality, Ramzi, is on the ground we're all searching for some hope, yeah? Anyway, m- moving on. So the situation now, um, you know, Trump has just visited, you know, done his whirlwind tour of Saudi Arabia and uh, and Palestine and Israel. And, you know, interestingly, when he met with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, he said, you know, we've just been to the Middle East. <laughs> um, even though he was in uh, in Jerusalem, uh, you know, strange. What 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 are your thoughts on on Trump and uh, the future for Palestine? Right. Um, I I think it's really interesting what um, what we are seeing right now because we um, I think in some strange way, Trump more or less has ended the the peace process in the old formulation that was. Um, uh, brought by by Clinton in 1993 and kind of really been followed religiously mm-hmm. by other presidents um, ever since. Um, you know, as as we know, the peace process is really neither a peace nor process. It was just um, an American diplomatic outlet that allowed it to, you know, kind of be part of shaping the political atmosphere in the Middle East. It's about uh, American leadership. It's about it's a strategy in itself. Had nothing really to do with the Palestinian rights and justice for the Palestinian people. And we knew that from the very very beginning. Unfortunately, uh, not all Palestinians, uh, at least at a leadership level, knew that or wanted to believe that. But that was indeed the case. Under the peace process, Palestinians lost. Uh, more land, um, settlements have doubled in size, tripled in population. Uh, Palestinians actually lost far more rights under the so-called peace process than prior to it. So we were all eager really to see the end of that charade and and the beginning of something else, something new, and something that's not dictated on, on Palestinians by the American administration. Um, Trump, in some strange way, kind of ended that. He ended that in the sense that, you know, one state, two states, whatever you guys agree on, I don't have any qualms with terminologies. It's for me, it's not. He kind of diverted almost entirely from the old paradigm of how this American peace industry has been in operation since 1991, the Madrid talks, but specifically since the Oslo Accords in 1993 and the Paris Accords and all of that. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, Trump doesn't really have an alternative. And that's precisely what Netanyahu wants. Mm-hmm. Netanyahu doesn't want a, a, a structured time frame, certain expectations to be made on Palestinians and Israelis and that sort of thing. No matter how gentle its demands uh, of Israel, they just Israel doesn't want to engage in that sort of language altogether. And this is really what Netanyahu's ultimate aim is. Just basically leave us alone, let us complete the colonies, the settlements, and and do as we please with Palestinians in the West Bank and, and, and Jerusalem. Jerusalem is completely out of the question. Let's not even bring that up at this point. Uh, Palestinians uh, in, in Israel, the Palestine 48, are, you know, continue to be treated, actually they are 
been treated, uh, they are treated right now worse than, I would say, any other time in, 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 in the history uh, of, of our population and our communities there. Because you have this focused set of rules and laws that is targeting them, their language, their culture, their organization, their mobilization, even their identity. Um, this is the kind of environment that Netanyahu and Israel's uh, the Israeli government wants to see. They want free range. They want to operate in any way they want. And they are hoping that Trump is the man who is capable of creating that sort of atmosphere. Now, Trump has been talking about the ultimate deal. No one really knows what this ultimate deal Does is. Does he know what it but is? But we have some... Does he know what that is? <laughs> I, I I think he does. I think there is an, a, a slight idea uh, of um, of what he actually means by it. What he th- we think he means by it, um, it, based on his trip to Saudi Arabia, based on his um, contacts with Arabs, based on some leaked reports in the Israeli and Jewish media, um, I think they are talking about normalization. They are trying to use the the so-called Arab Peace Initiative. Uh, that was put uh, forth, uh, forward by King um, Abdullah, I believe, in 2002. They are talking about the element of normalization. We, let's, you know, I am, I am a busy businessman, and I don't think a small picture. I only think big picture. Let's bring, you know, the Arabs and Israel together, and let's forge a deal. Yeah, yeah. Now, what the Jerusalem Post and Haaretz and other uh, papers are saying is that they believe that. The, the Arabs have downgraded their expectation of, of what it takes to normalize with Israel. And instead of striking a deal with the Palestinians, ending the conflict once and for all, so-called conflict, once and for all, um, we maybe Israel can, can take few steps in the right directions. Ease the siege a little bit on Gaza? Mm-hmm. Uh, slow down the movement of settlements a little bit? Uh, at least some form of expansion? Um, and then the Arabs would be willing to meet Israel somewhere in the middle. And we start a process of normalization. Fantastic. Um, I think this is ultimately what, what Trump's deal is about. He has absolutely no concern whatsoever for um, justice for the Palestinian people and the ending the occupation and, you know, trying to imagine what the, the, the region is going to look like under a new, n- completely new vision and new outlook. Ramzi, we're going to continue the discussion after yes. the break. We're going to have to take a break and we will come back with uh, a few uh, more questions. So please stay with us. You're listening uh, to uh, Palestine Remembered on 855 AM and our uh, guest, uh, Mr. Ramzi Baroud on Skype from the United States, a Palestinian activist and writer. So stay with us. Robert, uh, we're going to listen to a song from Algeria. What do you think? Fantastic. Is this one of my personal collection? Well, let's find out. His name is uh, Shab Khalid. <laughs> and, and he's singing for uh, the city of Wuhan. Oh, this is a wonderful and song. And he's uh, telling the people who left Wuhan to come back. Please, come so back. Let's, let's listen to... Uh, Didn't we get this CD out of your car, Robert? No, you did. Uh, you did. So, I mean, this is fantastic. I, uh, so, you're listening to... I hope you enjoyed as much as I Shab Khalid and Wuhan. I'm <laughs> 
قعدوا في الغربة حيارة والغربة صعيبة وغداها You're listening to Palestine Remembered on 855 AM uh, and uh, it's worth mentioning that due to uh, copyright uh, constraints uh, 3CR has a policy of not playing uh, songs uh, on podcasts so uh, for our listeners who listen to the show and then all of a sudden we say we're going to listen to a break and then a song and then we continue this is the story we don't uh, we cannot put songs on our podcast uh, episodes so uh, stay with us and we will continue the discussion with uh, Ramzi Baroud Ramzi if you, if you can you take us through what we've just spoken about normalization in Saudi Arabia um, the next steps you know that that's sort of moving in a way where the arab world is um and led by saudi arabia and other uh, arab countries wanting to normalize relations with israel and the united states against a shared enemy uh you know they've called the shared enemy the the, the iranians of iranians um, can you take us your thoughts through that uh, yes um fortunately um uh, recently i wrote an article about uh, the changing discourse uh that followed the 1967 war how the arabs kind of redefined their priorities regarding to palestine um and it's it's kind of a, a long and complex subject but i will summarize it to you by saying after 1967 um there was this kind of reality check Israel is powerful. The U.S. is ready and willing to defend Israel at, uh, in, in, under any circumstance. And we really have no business trying to change this reality. So Arab nationalism uh, kind of began fading. Uh, you know, the Nasserite thinking about, you know, kind of going back to the 1948, um, you know, pre-1948 reality, the refugees back, all of this, that has almost fundamentally changed. And we began talking about a new reality, that of the 1967 borders and new UN resolutions, and we've forgotten almost entirely or completely of the, 1990, uh, the 194 um, resolution 194 uh, pertaining to the refugees, 181 uh, regarding the division and of Palestine and all of this. And we began talking and referencing a whole new discourse on Palestine. Um, that really kind of continued for years and years until we reach a point and I'm talking from the Middle East now, and I've been here for several months traveling in various countries, where almost Palestine like almost doesn't exist on the on the map of of priorities of Arab leaders and Arab, Arab governments and the Arab League. There's a whole new priorities there. They are far more concerned about uh, Iran's regional ambitions, and um, and they are willing to actually not just accommodate Israel, but kind of wink wink work with Israel to defeat Iran and to um, kind of more or less affect the new, you know, the, the, the new look and feel of the Middle East when it's all said and done. Palestine then becomes kind of a bargaining chip. Uh, it's, it's this thing that where, you know, they are supposedly unified by their need to create peace in Palestine, but in reality they are being unified by you know, the, the, the so-called Iranian menace, the Iranian threat. These. But, uh, Ramzi, can I here uh, interrupt you and maybe with a question that don't In you the think... Region. That's really, that's where the real obsession is right now. And sadly, I think Palestine is going to get victimized in all of this because it's going to be used uh, again as this unifying platform. We're not doing this for ourselves, we're doing it for the Palestinian people. 
supposedly. Uh, Ramzi, can I here ask you uh, about the very same point that Palestine is being hijacked maybe um, indirectly by one of the projects here. Uh, but don't you think that also Iran does that when it talks about Palestine uh, and talks about the resistance, but on, on, on ground uses Palestine for its political ambitions? And don't, all you, don't you also think that also the other um, Turkey-led uh, coalition is, um, is indirectly uh, using Palestine. So in the Middle East, everybody is using and hijacking Palestine, not only the Arab-led oh, I, I initiative. I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. I think Palestine is, is being used and abused uh, by all parties involved. Um, now, you know, we kind of have to look at, 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 the, at the issue, though, from, you know, kind of less idealistic scenario. Um, if, if Palestine is being used by the Iranians, but at least the Iranians are not normalizing with Israel, they are not bringing Israeli diplomats to Tehran, they are, in fact, uh, quite supportive of the Palestinian resistance throughout the years. Uh, but um, are they also using Palestine as a rally cry? Of course they are. And the Turks, too, and everybody else, really, I would say, since the beginning of the conflict, um, has, has kind of utilized um, Palestine as a unifying factor, to as a way to validate themselves politically, and as a rally cry against various enemies, real or imagined. Yeah, so, yes, football, you're absolutely right. Yeah, this we've has been the been football the case for, for everybody time. for a long time, yeah. Uh, Ramzi, BDS, Boycott, Divestments and Sanctions, you know, this is uh, the rallying call of Palestinian civil society and, you know, modelled on the um, South Africa anti-apartheid uh, struggle of the, the 80s and 90s, 70s, 80s and 90s. Can you take us through, you know, where, where you're seeing the BDS movement have its victories and, and, and its rise? Um, yes, absolutely. Um, I think BDS has been the single most important Palestinian uh, tactic, tactic used by Palestinians and their supporters throughout the world. I think it has been uh, an extremely important tactic, but that tactic is now um, really filling a huge gap, I think, uh, in, in our struggle, in the sense that uh, various Palestinian factions are, you know, um, fighting their own turf war. Um, um, life is becoming extremely difficult on Palestinians in the West Bank and Jerusalem who are fighting against a dual enemy, frankly. Um, and that kind of leaves us a huge uh, vacuum of the need to utilize the energies of Palestinians and their supporters around the world, unified by a single common idea. Then BDS arrives, and it was an absolutely brilliant tactic. Now, the thing is, it's important to note that this is nothing new here for Palestinians. Palestinians have utilized nonviolent resistance for decades. Including uh, uh, boycott started uh, really, it, since it the 20s. Uh, yes, um, Say that again, Robert. Uh, uh, yeah, nonviolent resistance, including boycott. Uh, boycott has always oh, been absolutely. a part of the Palestinian nonviolence struggle. Absolutely. In mm. fact, if you, if you go back to history books, you will find that the boycotts of of uh, British and and Jewish colonies in Palestine actually goes back to the late nineteenth uh, century, and it culminated in nineteen thirty six to the. Uh, the longest um, strike ever recorded in the history the of the Middle East, yeah. six months non-stop. Hmm. And it, it, it went all the way until the first intifada, where it was largely, uh, you know, a, a seven-year strike, more or less. Um, so we have a huge 
um, kind of legacy of, of that sort of resistance. Yeah. What makes BDS particularly important and different, though, is that it took the existing energy of the Palestinian people and it took it globally. Fantastic. It uh, took it, Dr. Ramzi, yes, we, we've run out of time yes. today's show, so can I thank you again from Melbourne to Doha for all of your work. Congratulations on um, your, your Palestine in Motion, your upcoming project, and uh, on you know, all of your work. Thank you. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.